Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Whatever impression you leave on people, it's going to be the only impression they have on people from your country. You're an ambassador of your own country. So be kind, be humble, and remember you're a guest wherever you go. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Really excited to bring you part two of my conversation with Thorbjörn Pettersson. He is the first person ever to visit every country in the world in a single journey without the use of flights. No flying. If you missed part one, which came out a couple days ago, you're going to want to give that a listen before you dive in to this one and we get to hear more about his journey of course uh some of the the stories as we continue the good bad and the ugly of an epic quest like this that which took him 10 years to complete totally insane and of course some of his best travel advice he shares and how he feels about going home his work with the danish red cross and so much more anytime i get a chance to talk to somebody that has been exposed to so much culture around the world met so many people and been on the ground for so long. There are always some valuable lessons to bring home and implement into your own life, into your own travels. I found this conversation incredibly inspiring, and I hope you do as well. Stick around on the back end. I will leave you with one more challenge, just like I did in part one, which is a great way to build momentum. I'll leave it at that. And you can also check out onceuponasaga.dk if you want to get more information about Thorbjörn's incredible journey now enjoy part two of my conversation with Dor and I'll see you on the other side my friend thanks for listening what do you think will be the hardest thing to let go of like what do you think you're gonna have to let go of in terms of lifestyle like from the lifestyle you've been living, which is your daily life, this has been your life. You can't say you've been traveling. This has been your lifestyle, your life. And now you're going to a completely new life. What do you think will be... I know it's hard to say because you're not in the new life yet, but what, what do you think will be like one of the hardest things to let go of or the challenge, the big challenge? So while I generally would not say that I've been free that I've really been locked into the, the rules of, of this project and the ambitions of the project. I have been free in terms of what am I going to eat tonight? Uh, what time am I going to get up? You know, uh, these, these things. I've been highly independent. So I guess being less independent is probably going to be hard, especially at my age. I'm 44 now. And uh, it's it's deeply rooted. It wasn't just the past 10 years. You know, I had a high degree of independence uh, ahead of that. And now I'm planning to move into an apartment uh, together with a woman who has also 
enjoyed a high degree of independence. You know, she's decided if she wants to go out with her friends, she doesn't have to ask me. You know, I'm not at home. She just goes out with her friends. You know, if she wants to sleep in or if she wants to do the laundry tomorrow and not today, she just does it in any which way she wants, right? And I've had the same uh, set of decisions to make, right? And I've been able to make them myself. So now those two things have to jive together, right? And uh, I, I might get to a point where I go, I don't want to do this, but I have to because I'm living with you. <laughs> and then I miss being out in the world. Whereas then I, if I was out, if I was in Sri Lanka, I didn't have to do that. <laughs> you know. Let me clue you in as a guy who's married. You're not maybe going to get to that point. You are going to have that point. <laughs> no, I'm sure you well, know. Fair. There's a there's a mutual respect of independence, and that's the that's a strong foundation to come into the whole thing with. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we've we've been pushing something um, for years now, which is that I was 34 when I left home. I'm 44 now. Uh, my parents were 65. They're 75 now. My wife was 30. She's still 30 because that's the way that works. But <laughs> in terms of biology, uh, we are pushing a limit. And we would like to start a family, but we really don't know if we can or not. So that that might be... I mean, you're talking in terms of lifestyle and whatnot. I, I'm getting home and in a couple of months or and we'll have to see if it's too late or not. And then I'll have to come to terms with if it yeah. if it is too late. Was it worth wow. the sacrifice? That's, right? Oh, man, that's a that's a heavy question. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, so it, it ties a little bit into lifestyle, because if I do go home and uh, we are able to start a family and we get a healthy son or a healthy daughter, um, then, you know, that's that's a completely different thing to anything I've experienced in my entire life. And if if we are unable to start a family, there will still remain there. Will, we will have a lot of time on our hands. Right. As, as a couple that does, does not have any children. So, you know, I might not miss independence all that much. She goes to work. I shave if I want to shave or not, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> I love your honesty. You're a very honest person. Do you, do you think this experience made you more honest or have you always been this way? You're just willing to share. <laughs> I think that at a relatively early age, I found out that if you're honest most of the time, then you don't have to keep track of all the lies. <laughs> it's just a much simpler life. But there's things you don't have to share. You, you don't have to share personal details like we're going to have a child or we're going to try to have a child and these things. But you're sharing openly because this is part of your journey. Like the after part of this is still, the journey still goes on in, in many ways, right? Because you've made the sacrifice you just mentioned that's one example. So yeah, I mean, no, I think, I think this is in, in having had conversations with thousands and thousands of people around the world that you decide who are you going to open up to and who are you not. And when, when I get this amazing chance to talk to you on zero to travel, um, I do want to share with your audience and, and my own, followers uh, these things but also it makes me a little bit more relatable and it's it's not being cynical or tactical or anything it's just that what i have done is not relatable that so, so much of my life in the past decade is just not relatable but these topics and being honest about this it's it is directly relatable for a lot of people and I think it makes for a more interesting conversation. I mean, there are so many aspects of this journey that are relatable because you're a human. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've, yeah, yeah. you're living a, <laughs> an experience. You're just living the, the experience, I think, is not relatable because it's it's so almost far-fetched and incredible but uh, and sensational in some ways. Like, it doesn't seem real. It still surprises me when I read it over and think about what you've done and, and put myself there mentally. I can't even, you know, it's it, like you said, it's unrelatable. But through the experiences that are relatable, I think people can get a sense of what the journey is and, 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 and learn from it. Really, we can all learn from your journey. And that's one of the 
things I love about sharing stories like this, because everybody has their own unique journey. And this is, wow, this is incredibly unique. You mentioned the thousands of conversations along the way, and I know there are many lessons learned. Was there somebody that had like the greatest impact on you on this journey? Who would that person be? Let's say excluding your wife or your family. I'm talking about maybe somebody you you met along the way. Yeah. I mean, early on, I ran into Maria. We're talking real early. So I left home in October 2013, and this would have been December. I was in Poland, and I'd moved from Warsaw uh, towards Suwalki, which is quite close to Lithuania. And the objective was to spend the night in Suwalki and then continue traveling early the next morning towards Lithuania. And I had some help to find a place where I could stay. And uh, I was given a number on a piece of paper and an address. And I was told that uh, the guy didn't sound very friendly and I should bring exact money and this kind of stuff. But after all, it was just for one night and I'll be out of there the next morning. And I arrived to Suwalki and it's dark. It's in the evening. It's snowing very gently, but it's snowing. Um, the the trees are, are naked. Uh, Cars are parked and are covered in snow and the landscape is covered in snow. And I get off the train and within seconds, everyone else who got off the train, which was only a handful of people, they just disappear. So I didn't really have a chance to ask for directions. And I decide I'll walk off in one direction and then see what happens. And I walked for about 15 minutes and I didn't meet anyone. No vehicles were moving. <laughs> I just uh, didn't see any people. I didn't see anything that would indicate where the city center would be, like taller buildings or more lights and or more traffic And it's nighttime and cold. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was I wore a nice warm jacket and I was carrying all my stuff, which also... <laughs> help me stay warm uh, so I'm standing on this street corner and I'm just kind of trying to work out what I'm going to do and a door opens further down the road and it's the this moment where she's at the top of a staircase and light is flowing out from behind her and uh, I, I run over there because it's the first person so the first chance to ask for directions and I come over and and uh, I asked, do you speak English? And she goes, yes, she's an English teacher. And I go, well, that's, that's lucky. <laughs> so, um, so I'm looking for directions. And she just looks at me and goes, like, what on earth are you doing here? And I go, oh, that's kind of a long story. But uh, the gist of it is I'm traveling to Lithuania tomorrow. And I'm looking for this address. I'm going to spend the night. And she says, wouldn't you rather just sleep in my house? Isn't that a lot easier for you? And... <laughs> And the first thought for me is, I don't know this woman. Like, what, I don't know if she's going to lead me down into the basement and chain me up against the wall. or what's, I don't know. So I, I kindly decline and say, no, this, this man is expecting me and it's getting late. And she says, no, nonsense. We can call. We can call this guy and say you're not coming. So she said, uh, I just opened the door because I wanted to come out and then move my car. I was worried that uh, because it's getting windy that a tree would fall over and on top of my car. So if I want to move my car, then come back inside with me. We'll call him and tell him that you're not coming. And I, at that moment, I decide, you know, I should be more open to these moments and that kind of hospitality because this was at the very beginning of, a, of what turned out to be an incredibly long journey. But, you know, I should be open to these encounters and exchanges with, with people. So I decide to say yes, and uh, she moves her car, and then we walk back in. And while I'm kicking off my boots, uh, she goes into the kitchen and says, are you hungry? Should I make some food for you? And it's almost midnight. And I go like, no, 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 I'm not hungry. And my stomach goes. <laughs> and uh, she says, ah, nonsense. You've been traveling. You must be hungry. I'll cook something for you. So she starts cooking. She makes an omelet or something like that. And I come inside, and I present myself. I say, my name is Thor. I'm from Denmark. And she's, ah, oh, that's nice. My name is Maria. Sit down. Do you want a glass of water? And, and we talk for a bit. And eventually her daughter comes down. She wakes up. Her daughter comes down. And she's really upset that I'm there. And her mother let a stranger into the house in the middle of the night. And these two defenseless women and that kind of stuff. I'm not sure that was the conversation because they spoke in Polish. But I imagine that was the conversation. <laughs> and then uh, she also speaks English. And we have a nice conversation and she goes back to bed and Maria and I, we talk for a bit and then she does lead me down into the basement and, and there's a guest bed 
and she uh, gives me a really heavy doona and uh, I slept like a baby that night. I really just didn't, I didn't wake up not even once throughout the entire night. And the next morning I woke up and the daughter made coffee for me. Maria, she made breakfast for me. And uh, then Maria dusted off the snow from her vehicle and drove me to the bus and then said, that's your way to Lithuania and turned around and didn't want anything in return. So I'd say Maria, which I have since referred to as the Maria story. Maria was a central person within this saga that it had really, it really made me wonder about hospitality and, and what would I do if it was someone standing on the street in Denmark? Uh, I'm sure I wouldn't get close to her level of hospitality and generosity, but I wonder if I might, if I might just be like Maria now. Because I met Maria, maybe I would invite someone in and say, you can sleep on the couch and do you want something to eat and, and that kind of stuff. And it, it was also an eye-opening encounter in terms of chance. Because when I walked away from the train station, I could have walked in any direction, right? And uh, she could have come out to move her car five minutes before or five minutes later. And so there's a lot of chance in, in that. And it, it's just made me think a lot about that entire encounter so yeah i'd say maria wow yeah it sounds like for you essentially that was that was maybe not right in that moment but this idea that you're going to open your heart and your mind to these experiences on this journey and open up the trust perhaps and whenever you get that on the road it of course it's going to give you the tendency to return that favor at some point and I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes travel so beautiful is that you have these moments of hospitality that you you get to receive and then you can't forget them. So then, you know, of course, if you're in that position, you just, I don't know, those small interactions over time across the globe, it just makes for uh, some beautiful interactions and people helping people. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! With the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card, visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to six thousand pounds so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. You mentioned the chance. I'm, I was wondering what your relationship is with 
chance, serendipity, you know, some people operate under the sort of the universe is providing the thing for me. And maybe there's a spiritual component for some people. Others see it as, you know, pure chance. I walked this way. She happened to come out. Boy, what a coincidence. Others believe there is no coincidence and, and there's more of a, an intuitive and energetic thing around it. You know, there's a lot, there are a lot of philosophies around this. And when you're on the road for this amount of time, you're experiencing versions of this. I'm wondering in your mind, how you perceive that? What is your perception there? What are your beliefs there? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it's not spiritual for me, but sometimes it's just hard to come to terms with that it's pure probability and chance. Like some things feel so specific at times that I just don't know where I'm going to end up. I'll give you a, a, a small story, which is that I was in Tuvalu not too long ago. <laughs> and, and Tuvalu was my last country in the Pacific. And to some, it's the least visited country in the world, the, the smallest country in the world. It's one of the smallest populations in the world. It's truly isolated and small. And it was really hard to get there without flying, but it was infinitely harder to get away without flying. I was uh, banking on returning to Fiji on government vessels and the government vessels were just breaking down one after the other. And the students were supposed to go back to Fiji. So I was sure I'd be able to go with that ship. But then because the ships were in such condition, the government decided to fly all the students back to Fiji. And suddenly there was no urgency in sending a boat back. And, and I was just kind of stranded in Tuvalu. So eventually government put me on a ship which had a hole in the bottom which had been plugged and then it was taking in, it was leaking from the shaft and this ship had to go across to Fiji to go to dry dock. So for sure the ship was going and the government, they put me on that ship as my return ticket, <laughs> which was fine. And immigration and customs came on board and they stamped me out of the country and I went to bed and I woke up the next morning still in Tuvalu. And that was my story for the next month. So <laughs> it was, I, was, I was sitting there a month later and I was up on the bridge of this small vessel going like, I'm never getting out of here. Like they, they stamped me out of the country a month ago. And day by day, there's a new excuse for why the ship is not going or why, why this and why that. So there's, there's a lot of talk and there's no real substance anywhere. And I was up on the bridge and, and, and the, the VHF radio is on, as it always is on ships. And they're always dialed into channel number 16. And the reason why is because channel number 16 is used for distress calls. It's also used just as general uh, calling out to reach someone else. And then once I get in touch with you, they go Thor on board so-and-so to Jason on board so-and-so. And you come through and say, Jason here. Then say, okay, let's switch to 12. And then we switch to 12, channel 12. And then we have our conversation there and we're not bothering anyone. And then channel 16 stays open for people dialing in. So the radio was supposed to be on channel 16. Now, another part of this story is that I knew that a tugboat was going to leave, but I also knew I had not been given permission to come on board. And I was told who the agent was for the tugboat. And uh, it turned out it was the wrong agent. I was, I, was, I was misinformed in regards to the agent. So we've reached out to the wrong agent who, by the way, didn't come back and say that he's not the right agent. He just let us, let us hanging and we're waiting for him to come back. So the story is I'm up on the bridge. I'm having my morning tea. I'm wondering about how the heck am I going to get out of here? Suddenly, I hear the captain on board the tugboat calling an agent that I happen to know. And they're talking about this vessel leaving the next day. And uh, they need to get clearance. This is uh, Friday. No, sorry, this is Saturday. Sunday, government is not going to do anything. Everything will be closed. So they need to do clearance on this day, Saturday, so that the ship can leave. And I hear this conversation. And then I rush over to the agent, which is relatively near the ship. And I go like, we know each other. Can you help me? Can you get me on a ship? And he calls the captain and it works out. And long story short, I get on the ship and I go back to Fiji. The interesting thing is I was having my tea at the exact time when they had that 
conversation. And they had that conversation on channel number 14. So for whatever reason, the radio was not set on 16 as it always is. It just happened to be on the channel where they had their conversation and they happened to have their conversation while I was there. How do you work out the probability on that? What do you make of it? I, I don't know. I, I think this it's is the just, question. This is know, at the heart of the question, out, right? You know, out of a million, billion, trillion things that can happen, that will happen every so often. And it has to happen to someone. And it happened to happen to me. But over the past decade, I kind of have a small collection of stories like that, where I go like that, like the Maria story for me is a story where, of, you know, I could have gone in any direction. She could have come out at any time, you know, all that stuff. There are a few other stories where I go, it's happened enough. And if the probability really is minuscule, then how come it happens so often? Yeah, I, I, I don't know what my exact theory is on this, but I, I have a feeling there's some kind of, you know, like a radio picks up a frequency, right? There's some kind of energetic thing that can happen when you're on the right frequencies because I think everybody can, has experienced this one where you're thinking of somebody for whatever random reason that you haven't thought about for three years or whatever the case is. I think everybody's experienced this moment and they just pop in your head for some reason. And then like within a 24 hour period, you get a message from them or they call you or you see something from them. And it's just like, how, like why this happened to me the other week. Like I was just thinking about this person and they messaged me out of the blue and I hadn't heard from them in who knows months, months or years. I don't even remember. And it was just like, well, what's up with that? You know, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I I can't explain it, but you know, some things should remain a mystery, I guess. I mean, the story I told you earlier on being at gunpoint with the drunken, angry, out of control military personnel. Uh, why did I walk away from that? I truly believe that those were the last seconds of my life, the last minutes within my life. I thought it was absolutely game over. I really couldn't say see a way out of that. If I was to run away, they would have shot me. If I was to try to attack them, I would have been shot. If just they tripped over a rock or if someone sneezed, or <laughs> I mean, there were so many ways I could have died. There was so much anger. There was so much hostility. But I walked away from that, and I. I really, truly don't believe that I would be able to do that twice in a row. Well, of course, energy is a real thing. We know that it's physics. Yeah. And and we've all experienced, you know, a personality leaving a room, walking into a room, changing the dynamic of everything. So all these things are at play every day of our lives, I suppose. It's just, it is amazing. Like, why did she walk out at that moment you walked by? Who knows? I'll give you another one. So I I was struggling at this border that we talked about a few times in the south of Cameroon, close to Gabon. I was struggling at that border. And one reason why I was struggling even more so was because after three months of visiting different embassies and consulates across a number of countries, I finally obtained my visa for Equatorial Guinea. This is a notoriously hard visa to get. And I had it, it took me three months of hard work to get that visa. And then the borders of Equatorial Guinea were closed. That's what I discovered. So I was trying to see if I could get back to Gabon where I knew people and I knew that there might be a slightly softer border crossing where I might be able to make my way across and get into Equatorial Guinea before the visa expired. I had 30 days before the visa would expire and the days were just flying off the calendar. So I'd I'd lost uh, some 20 days. I had less than 10 days left and I was going back to this border again and again and I was grinding my teeth. I wasn't sleeping and I was going, I can't believe I have this visa and I'm going to lose it because I can't get back to Gabon and I can't cross the border. And I was just going out of my mind. So this one time I'm at the border crossing and uh, I've I've just been denied. I've just been denied uh, on the Gabon side. So I've crossed back to the Cameroonian side. And I'm there to get my exit visa canceled for the fifth time or something like this. And I see this guy standing there uh, looking very much like an expat. And I listen to him and he's speaking French. 
And uh, I figure it might be good if he's traveling to Gabon that we can team up. You know, there, there, sometimes it's just better to be with someone and uh, the, in terms of show of force and uh, supplementing each other and all that stuff. So I thought if I could have him as an ally, because I do not speak French proficiently also, and he clearly spoke it, uh, fluently, maybe that would help me across the border. So he's on the phone and I'm trying to read his badge, like see what's on his chest, but he's obviously working for someone. And he's, he's a bald guy with glasses, uh, pretty muscular arms, and, and his rank posture sort of looks a little bit military. He looks really healthy. Looks like this man is in control. Like he's, he's dominating. That's what he looked like. And I was a broken man. I was like, I, nothing is working for me. I, so I really needed him on my side. And then when he finishes his call, um, I approach him. And it turns out that he speaks English just as well. And he also spoke Spanish. And after a little while, it turns out the man worked in Equatorial Guinea. He, there, he worked where he was uh, the head of a project where they were building a luxury hotel golf resort. And uh, he absolutely had the contacts, even though the borders were closed, nobody in, nobody out. He had the contacts to go in and out across the border. And... We talked for a bit, and he was heading the the, uh, the wrong direction. So he was heading out of Gabon, then he was heading into Cameroon. But he said, within 24 hours, I will come back again. So try one more time to see if you can cross the border. And if you can, then I'll meet you in Gabon, and I'll pick you up, and I'll take you into Equatorial Guinea. And uh, if not, then I'll meet you on this side of the border, and I'll help you across the border into Gabon, and then help you into Equatorial Guinea. And again, we're talking about, I have traveled hundreds and hundreds of kilometers between that border and different offices, government offices, and on different days across several months trying to cross that border. And I just happened to be there for those five or 10 minutes when, and we're going opposite directions even, right? So remember that we're not going the same direction. So the chance that we would be coming in opposite direction and our paths would cross that was the guy who got me into Equatorial Guinea and he got me into country number 100. Again, you know, what, what is the probability of that? Send that man a good bottle of bourbon or something. <laughs> Just to put the, the crown on the top of, of this story, I got in three days before my visa expired. Wow. Talk about cutting it close. Man, I mean, yeah. the, the bureaucracy sounds like absolutely the most frustrating difficult part. Well, I mean, what has all this taught you about perseverance? It's told me that I'm a really, really stubborn guy. <laughs> I'd say so. <laughs> uh, it has told me that if you have a goal, which in one way or the other is noble or good, that you're trying to f complete your education or find a job or help someone or raise funds or whatever it is, and you persist then, you know, the moment when you give up is the moment you're not going to get what you're going after. So if you persist and you keep shaking hands and making connections and finding ways to move forward, eventually you will reach your goal. You will make it across. And it might take you six more years than you anticipated. <laughs> it might take you more. But that is a definite solution to losing weight or learning a language or saving up money or learning how to play an instrument or whatever it is you want in life. You have to stick with it. You cannot give up. And I mean, there are so many people have doubted that I would ever reach the final country in this project, including myself. Like it has been beyond hopeless at times, but I did do it. And then you can say, it's a silly goal. It's, it's nonsense, utter nonsense. Why would you want to go to every country without flying? That's, what, what, how does that serve anyone? And it's true. <laughs> it's silly. It's ridiculous. And it, it might not serve anyone. But what does serve people is the fact that I set myself a goal and I stayed true to that goal and I never gave up anywhere along the way. Let me just say, this, this does serve <laughs> What you just said there, that's definitely not true. I mean, like you said, the inspiration, the work you've done 
as an ambassador with the Red Cross. I'm going to talk about some of that stuff here before we kind of, like, I could just keep you here all day and just keep asking questions, but I'm not, I'm not going to do that to you, but I am going to ask if when, maybe when the documentary comes out or something, maybe we can find a way to do a part two in person because I'd really love to do that. All right. Yeah. You can only share one travel tip and it's your number one travel tip. I'm only like going to let you share one here. What, what do you, what are you going to share? Well, it might not be a tip in the conventional way, but I, I would tip people off and say, remember that you're a guest. As soon as you cross the borders out of your own country, you're a guest wherever you go and be on your best behavior. And remember that whoever you meet along the way, it might be the first time that I meet someone from your country. So whatever impression you leave on people, it's going to be the only impression they have on people from your country. You're an ambassador of your own country. So be kind, be humble, and remember you're a guest wherever you go. What about... Uh, Something practical. Legi- <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, no, no, I love that. I mean, I think that's great. And I think that's... I was actually expecting a, mi- a more of a mindset tip because most of travel is how you think, you know, what, what reality is, is your perception. So what your trip is, is how you perceive it, right? And then how you perceive is what, what psychological filters or constructs or beliefs you have. So all of this is, is part of the travel experience, right? It's like a lot of the travel experience is taking place in your head before you're even stepping foot on onto a place. So I love that. I mean, if you're coming in with the mentality of be a good guest, that's, that's great. I mean, it's easy to remember. And it's like, you know, as soon as you step in, you can step in with that mindset. Be, I, I need to be a good guest here. Um, yeah, if, if you, I mean, think about it. If, if you're invited into someone's home, you wouldn't point out that it isn't clean enough or <laughs> you point, like, like you, you, you might, there might be a few white lies as well just to keep the, the peace, right? But be that person. Don't go to someone else's country and then go like, oh, we do that so much better where I come from. Or, that would never happen in my country. And like, why the heck would you ever do that? That's uh, unfair to those people. But yeah, no, so I, I'd say... Eat, eat local food. That's something I would say. You know, you might love something particular, uh, which is imported and more expensive and cost the planet a little bit extra because it had to be sent halfway across the planet so that you could eat or drink it. Forget about that. Uh, eat locally. It's going to be cheaper. It's going to be an experience in terms of where are you in, in the world and how do the locals eat and what does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it feel like uh, in your mouth and all that stuff? Eat locally. That, that would be a definite tip on my part. I also like learn, learn a few words of the local language. For me, I tried to learn how to say hello, say thank you and say, I'm sorry. These were like general things that I learned to say in, in most languages that I came across and uh, it just brings so much joy to whoever you talk to when they can see that you're trying. They do not expect that the pronunciation is perfect or that you know the entire language. They're just happy to see that you're not that arrogant person that shows up and just speaks whatever la- language you, you manage or, or you control, master, whichever mm-hmm. language you master. Yeah. What about handling money? I imagine there was a lot of, yeah, I've lost a lot of money. And... Yeah. So uh, something that maybe existed a little bit when I left home, but which has become really, really common in the world is that you can have Apple Pay or something similar and you just tap your phone. Uh, that's super nice. Uh, but, but what has happened in most cases is that I, I run around with local currency and I have always traveled with U.S. dollars just as a backup because U.S. dollars just kind of works everywhere in the world. You can always um, exchange U.S. dollars to local currency. And I've also traveled with euro. Uh, so in the countries where they for some reason do not accept U.S. dollars, you can get away with euro and then exchange that to the local currency. So travel with a little bit of U.S. dollars, a couple of U.S couple of hundred of dollars of US and maybe a couple of hundred dollars of a hundred euros as well. And then I have a, a credit card and I put it in an ATM and I withdraw local cash. And then I lose 
some money on that every time my bank takes a fee for that. Sometimes the bank that I'm using in the country takes a fee. And then I rarely spend all the money uh, when I get to the border, which means that now I'm leaving the country with some currency that I can no longer use. And there's always someone really helpful at the border who's willing to exchange at a horrible rate. So you lose a little bit of money there too. Yeah. I mean, if you have like piles of money from like a hundred countries, uh, little small piles, I would love for you to just shoot a video when you get back to Denmark and go right to the currency exchange <laughs> and see that person's <laughs> face. <laughs> They'll be like, what? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> so I know you were doing this on around 20 bucks a day. And I mean, just yeah. so people know you had some crowdfunding, you had your own funds, you had some financial support in terms of sponsorship yep. from an energy company, I believe. I'm yep. just curious, do you have any money left? <laughs> um, I'm pretty much back to where I started uh, in terms of wow. what's on my bank account. Yeah. So, so you have some savings. Well, <laughs> yeah. Something. I, 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 I have something, right? I, That's I had impressive. a little bit of money on my account when I left home. And the idea was that I wasn't going to spend any of that because it would be a sponsored project. And then as the project grew, I started to have followers and they were supportive with donations and I did speaking engagements and wrote some articles and this kind of stuff. And then the financial backing that I did have, uh, they left for a few years. So they came back, which I'm very, very happy, Ross Energy. Um, but for, there was this gap where they were not uh, supporting me financially. And then I started to drain my own funds and I'm happy to say that I've been able to replace what I drained from my own because I drained it to the bottom. And I took out two loans. I took one loan, spent everything, and then a second loan and spent most of it. So I've been able to repay both loans and replace the money I took from my bank account. Uh, but then that's it. Like I, If you look at how much money I could have earned from having a regular job the past 10 years, I, I don't have that. Um, but I do have a lot of great experiences from around the world. Yeah. Well, this is the choice you make, right? It illustrates the, that whole chicken and egg thing, right? Because when you go into something like this, you really, unless you're a multimillionaire, like the financial piece is going to have to be figured out somehow. And that meant up and down, you know, crowdfunding your own, taking loans, having a sponsor, losing them, getting them back again. And these are all the things you can't see. So this is, I think where, I always admire a quest like this because, you know, especially in the financial piece, it's well, all of it. I mean, it, it requires this level of trust in, in that you're going to find a way, trust in yourself, trust in others around you. I mean, it's powerful. Yeah, there's, well, the financial element, but there's, there are all these small <laughs> knickknacks and, uh, the, the, the financial partner, the CEO of Ross Energy, he flew out to meet me in the Maldives. And he was there with a small Danish flag as I came in with the boat and gave me a hug. And, and it was good. Uh, and then after a day or so, he told me that he's starting to realize how much I actually went through uh, because he just needed to get a SIM card while in the Maldives. And suddenly that became a mission and uh, where to get this and which price and how to get it operational and all that stuff. And, and he, had, he looked at me and went like, you probably got a SIM card in most countries in the world. And the SIM card is the least of your problems around. I go like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just another thing in the daily routine, right? Uh, finances, for sure. But people find a way, like, you know, $20 a day. It's a funny amount because you go to some countries and they go like, ah, I can't believe it's, it's, it's not enough money. Like you're in Singapore, they laugh. Go like, you're not going to be able to live in Singapore for $20 a day. But then you're in Sri Lanka and they go like, you have $20 per day? <laughs> I go like, yeah, I, I do. Uh, yeah, but yeah, so you need to, I've, I've learned how to live on a rock, right? I, I, I came from a pretty comfortable lifestyle where I earned enough money not really to think about how much money I was spending when I went to do grocery shopping and that kind of stuff. I would just take whatever I needed and then go and swipe my card. And if you if you were at the other side of the cash register and you, and you said, I'll give you a million dollars if you can tell me 
what the amount was that you just paid. I would never know. You know, it's just swiping plastic through and then whatever it costs, that's what I paid. That's, that's how comfortable I was. Not buying Ferraris comfortable, but certainly paying for groceries without wondering or worrying about what it cost. $20 a day for transportation, accommodation, meals, and visas. You definitely focus on what's cheaper and how you can save and skipping meals and sleeping on buses. And, you know, at times I will weigh out traveling a full day in a bus, seeing the landscape, which is sort of why I'm doing this. I want to see the countries and, and experience something or taking the night bus and then having free accommodation or having accommodation included (laughs) during the night. That's tough, man. I mean, for so many years too. Yeah. Well, you, you learn it, right? So I, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a populistic thing to say that if you want to uh, incorporate a new habit, then you, you repeat it 30 days in a row. So if you want to, if you wake up at 9 a.m. and you want to wake up at 7 a.m., then you wake up 7 a.m. for 30 days in a row and it will feel natural to you. It'll become a habit. So I've been doing this for more than 3,000 days <laughs> so, you mean so in being uncomfortable of, in the, in the sense. <laughs> well, I've been very comfortable. I've stayed at five star hotels as well. I stayed at Ritz Carlton, and you know, I've, I've, I, I meet a lot of people, and they offer me nice things as well. So I've, there's there's the good and the bad. It's not all hardship, but having that budget and living on that budget and staying true to that budget for so long. It definitely becomes a part of the DNA after some time. You know, I truly think about, do I need that? I really don't think I need that. I'm not going to get that. Or uh, what is two hours for me? This bus costs this much and I arrived two hours earlier. The other one costs a little bit less, but takes two hours more. Ah, okay. (laughs) What's time worth to me? Well, how has this whole journey changed your relationship with time? Well, I'm 44 and I do believe I'll be 100. So I I don't think I'm halfway yet. Um, It is an annoying element, this with, is it too late to start a family or not? It is, it's hard to think about. And thank goodness that my parents are alive and well, but it is hard to think about that is time lost with my parents. You know, all the times I could have, visited them or the the time I could have spent with them, that's not coming back. So now I just have what's left, right? And they might live for another 20 years or 100 years. We don't know. But, you know, it's it's this sort of like a FOMO kind of thing where you say, okay, what what did you lose out on? Um, I mean, I think this is a good investment and it hasn't just been for me that I went out and did this. I, I, f- I feel like it was highly altruistic at times, but I, I certainly believe that the Red Cross has benefit in this. I believe that thousands of people around the world have had benefit in this. And uh, I think I devoted the past decade of my life to something good and to some degree honorable. And uh, I have no regrets in, in terms of that, in terms of time. Um, but time is the real price, right? Because I came out alive. I'm, I'm not sick. I still have 10 fingers and 10 toes and all this stuff. So I came out on the other side. I'm okay. I might have some mental damage. We'll have to, we'll have to check on that eventually. But it, the time is not coming back. And if I regret that I spent this time, then the time is still not coming back. So there's really no point in regretting having spent a decade doing this, I have to come to terms with that. This is what I chose to do and see the value in it. How do your parents feel about it? I'm a little bit unsure on my mother these days. Uh, She was a lot more excited a few years ago. I think she might feel that what I've done is selfish and I should have spent more time with her. But both parents are in support. And my mother certainly loves me and they're proud of me. My father is immensely proud of me. Like he's loving it. Every time there's an article or I'm on TV or if, if I do a social media post that's highly successful, which doesn't happen a lot, but when it does happen, he's very, very proud. Um, there's a lot of support in both my parents. 
but it's it's a long time as well. I have uh, one friend in particular. He's the only one who, you know, called me and said, "Enough is enough. You should come home now. You should come home now, or there will be consequences." And that's it's hard to hear, but it's very honest, and I respect him because others might have been thinking it, but he was the only one who said it, right? Uh, yeah, I, at, at least 30 children have been born within my social circles <laughs> while I've been gone. And I don't know the names of most of them and I don't know what they look like even. So I'll have to go home and, uh, learn a lot of names and, uh, uh reestablish connections with, with friends and family and become less mechanical. I find that I've become very, very mechanical in recent years. So become less mechanical and uh, robotic, become human again, and uh, find my way back home. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and (laughs) immediately... I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. I don't even remember how long it's been, and they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. I'm really excited to talk to you after you've had time to process more and to reconnect with people in, in, the, in who you are now and who they are now in a, in a place that's changed and gone on from 10 years ago as well. I mean, everything's changing constantly, and now you're going back to a place that is 10 years older, just like you and all the other people around you. So it's going to be really quite interesting. It's going to be a journey in and of itself, I suppose. Well, if you just think about technology. So I left home with the newest iPhone. That was an iPhone 5. (laughs) People can understand iPhone speak. (laughs) Well, they do, right? Yeah. And I left home. There was no such thing as 4G when I left home. 4G didn't exist. And today, TikTok didn't exist when I left home. Uh, Instagram did exist, but Instagram was kind of new. Um, And uh, now we're talking AI, right? We're we're talking chat uh, GPT. One of my phones still is an iPhone 5, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's a great phone. <laughs> I mean, you know, it gets the job done to an extent. Uh, I'll have to get a new yeah. one, actually, because when I go back to the States, they're like, this isn't going to actually work anymore. Like, we've moved far beyond. Uh, okay, yeah, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. What's your favorite way to spend the day now? Now that you're in, like you said, the, the thing is you're going home. You're not on the mission to go to the next thing. You're just hanging out and waiting to go home. Like, how are you spending no, your days now? Not at all. My, I, I has, I'm just as busy as I've been. Okay, in, doing this, doing this years. kind I've, of stuff. This, these pain in the butt podcasters yeah, 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 asking I'm, all these questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am riding the the the, the media train uh, these days. There's a lot of attention, and and one interview leads to another, and that kind of stuff. So there's there's really a lot of attention, and everyone wants a piece of me right now. 
and is taking up a significant amount of time in, in part conducting the interviews. And I think this is the first podcast, actually. Um, everything else, yeah. <laughs> so everything else has been uh, interviews for newspapers or TV or for radio. Um, but but it's not just conducting and 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 putting the time into doing the interviews themselves. I coordinate all of it. You know, I, I write with people. Uh, so there's all this correspondence going back and forth. And when should we do it? And what kind of equipment? And how do we do it? And where are you? And that kind of stuff. And I'm still trying to do social media and I'm still trying to explore a little bit of where I am in the world. I came up to Jaffna because I thought Jaffna is is interesting and, and turned out it is super interesting. So I have a ton of stories from Jaffna, which I haven't in any way shared with, with people. And I have to see what I'm going to do about that. And I'm trying to coordinate my arrival to come back home. There are all sorts of... Uh, in the same way that I have the interviews now, there are different groups and organizations that want to meet up with me uh, when I come back home. We're trying to set up a new website, something that looks good and modern uh, for the speaking engagements. And uh, there's a ton of stuff going on. And I'm still in a long distance relationship with my wife. So I'm also communicating with her. Oh, it's, it's pretty busy, uh, to say the least. But uh, yeah, I, I do enjoy watching a movie when I can get away with it. I do enjoy listening to podcasts. Uh, I do enjoy going for a run. And uh, I, do, I have had a few hours here and there to just walk around and turn the corners and see what's up uh, a road I haven't been down before. And yeah. yeah, I get to do a little bit of that. It's nice, I'm sure, as a traveler uh, to do that, <laughs> to just be able to have that exploration mindset and not have to be on like a yeah. constant mission to... Well, you deserve that. I mean, thank you so much. I know I, I did say when we were chatting and setting this up, I said, hey, if you want to wait on this, totally cool. Like we can do this later this you know summer or whatever. And you're like, no, no, let's do it. I'm like, all right, well, let's, let's do it, man. I would love to do it again. Thank you uh, very much for taking the time to answer answer all these questions and just i know you're doing oh, a ton of this media happy stuff to. so i really appreciate it I, I, I no hope. i really i appreciate it we appreciate each other but i, I really appreciate <laughs> the opportunity thank you so much no, jason it, it's been great you want to share with everybody like you mentioned the social media and all the stuff and of course we'll link up to all this but yeah let people yeah. know where they can find you um people are welcome to look me up they'll find me I guess if you put Thor Peterson and just search that on the internet, Thor Peterson and travel, then I'll show up. But the project is called Once Upon a Saga, and that's S-A-G-A, Once Upon a Saga. And you'll find me on Instagram, on Facebook. You'll find me on Twitter. There's a blog. There's a crappy YouTube channel. And uh, there's a crappy TikTok channel as well. So you're welcome to come and, uh, and, and say hello. You're really selling it, man. You're really selling it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not much of a social media person. I, I kind of, I, I'm starting to grow big numbers, but it's not because of my content. It's because someone else referred me. Uh, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is the most Danish thing you're looking forward to doing of all the Danish things? Oh, I, I mean, so there's uh, Danish rye bread. And uh, put some uh, liver pate on that, and uh, and chop up uh, cucumbers and put some uh, salt and pepper, and uh, sit there with a glass of Danish milk, and uh, oh, nice. enjoy. I love that. it. I love <laughs> it. I wish good. you could. It's just if you remember, can you take some audio on that? Because it's just going to sound like. Mm. Mm. Oh. Mm. <laughs> you know it's so funny it's always food related man like anytime somebody's been gone for a long time and they're like what do you you know what's the thing and it's just always like some food i'm i'm in uh like a facebook group for americans in norway and like most of the pictures are just people bringing home a bunch of junk food from america and taking a picture of all the crap they got like look i was in america it's not like here's me with my family here's me at the grand canyon it's like look at all this crappy food i brought back yeah uh, that's pretty funny. Uh, last thing, if you want to leave anybody with some words of wisdom or just some kind of final thoughts to wrap this up, can be any related to anything. So I don't want to. Oh, yeah. well, uh, because we didn't touch uh, on the Red Cross, really. I'm a goodwill ambassador of the Danish Red Cross. I am. It would be a world record within itself. I've, I've met with the Red Cross in 199 countries uh, out of the 203 that I targeted within this project. 
and I've been raising funds for the Red Cross for humanitarian work. I've been raising awareness. Uh, I've donated blood several times across several countries. And I'm currently running a, a crowdfunding campaign or a fundraiser for the humanitarian work, which has been carried out by the Danish Red Cross. Now, the Danish Red Cross is a very strong national society that operates in about 30 countries around the world. They are heavily involved in Ukraine and a number of other places around the world. Denmark is one of the least corrupted countries in the world. I think it tops as the least corrupt country in the world right now. So it is a good place to send your money and know that your money is going to something good. It's going making the money work. So that's my little Red Cross spiel. It's the world's largest humanitarian organization. It was founded in 1863. So it's been around for more than for more than 150 years. And it's found in basically every country in the world. So it is a good cause to go and support the Red Cross. And on top of that, I'll just remind people that a stranger is a friend you've never met before. Love it. I'll tell you what, I'm donating 100 bucks US to the Danish Red Cross to your thing. So send me a link. And we'll also include that link in the show notes here. And I encourage everybody listening to, if it's got some value out of this and you want to make a donation, it's a great way to uh, wrap this up because Red Cross does great work. And I'll be sure to mention that at the top because I know we didn't talk about it way early on over a couple hours ago. So anyway, just want to support you there. And thank you once again for uh, your time and all the inspiration and for a new connection here. I'm glad we're in touch. So thank you. And I hope we get to do this again in person. Maybe after your film comes out, you can find a way to meet up somewhere and, and do that if, if you're if you're game. So thank you again. I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, thank you so much. You had some excellent questions and thank you for giving me so much time to just ramble on about oh, all of this stuff. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Thanks again. Cheers. Cheers. Wow. That was my full conversation there with Thorburn Patterson. Thank you so much once again to him. He's not even home yet. <laughs> he still took the time to chat and to start reflecting on this epic quest he's completed. Every country in the world, no flying. And I think through this conversation, at least I really got a sense of what that meant in terms of his life the impact, the toll it took on him at times, it sounds like, the logistical challenges, how difficult it must have been during so many moments, how easy it could have been to just quit and get on a flight. I'm just still in awe of this accomplishment. And I think this longer form conversation really brought it home. It brings you past the headline, right? It's easy to read those headlines and the travel magazines and whatever news outlets that, you know, man does this and, you know, it's like a one page thing and they include a few snappy quotes and everything. And here I feel like we got a real sense of uh, what it was like. And I just appreciate his open and honest nature and willingness to share. And I'm really curious to catch up with him after he's been home for a time and see how that is for him. Of course, you can check out his website once upon a saga dot DK. And I mentioned at the top, I will leave you with a little challenge as I did in part one. And this ties in with this idea of thinking bigger. I do see this as just an incredible quest that was completed. And I was thinking, hmm, it is exciting to undertake a quest, but the hard part is finishing it and completing it. And I thought, well, what if you think of a bigger project as a mini quest and you make it a bit smaller. I think that can be a great way to build momentum, right? I think about this podcast going for 10 years. If I said, I'm going to have a podcast for 10 years, I could never wrap my head around that. But if I said, I'm going to schedule and publish a podcast every week for one year, it's a mini quest and it's doable. 52 episodes, it can really build momentum and get something rolling. So whether it's a business project, whether it's a trip, a physical challenge, whatever, I think a mini quest might be a great way to frame something and give you a sense of accomplishment and something you might not have to wait years or a decade to celebrate. It's great to get those little wins and that is what builds momentum. So it's a commitment to a larger project, but making it smaller in size, 
might give you the momentum to kind of push towards the bigger thing. And I just wanted to throw that out there, whatever that means to you. Again, I keep these things sort of vague on purpose because I know that means something different to everybody in their lives at this moment, but it's fun to ponder these things. So ponder a mini quest. What would be a mini quest if you were going to undertake one? If you ever want to get in touch and share your mini quest, share uh, some guest recommendations, just say hello and introduce yourself. You can always leave me a voicemail. I respond to all of them and the links in all the show notes. Haven't heard from anybody in a while, to be honest. I got one voicemail, I think, in the last few weeks. And uh, I would love to hear from some of you. So I invite you to get in touch. You can always email me, of course, as well. Jason at zerototravel.com is my email. Thank you so very much for listening to the show. Being a part of this listening community is truly an honor to serve you and to bring you episodes like this where we can just share and learn from each other. So thanks for listening, truly, from the bottom of my heart. Let me leave you with a quote on quests. I thought this was a good one. I could leave you with two, actually. I found a couple good ones. One is from Kate D. Camillo, who said, Say it, reader. Say the word quest out loud. It is an extraordinary word, isn't it? So small and yet so full of wonder, so full of hope. That's one. And then the last one, I'll leave you from Amal El Motar, who said, Adventure works in any strand. It calls to those who care more for living than for their lives. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.